This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. The difference between exile and redemption. Exile and redemption. We know Hashem created day and night. You know, it's interesting how the Torah starts off. Hashem says it was day and night. There was darkness on the face of the deep. And Hashem on the first day creates light. And there's light and there's darkness, and he calls the day light day, and he calls the night a dark night. So then there's night and day. So the Torah starts off with a period of uh, day and night. That's the first day. And you can expand this to be symbolic. What is day and what is night? The answer is day is redemption. Our day is redemption. The Jewish day is redemption. And our night, unfortunately, is exile. So it's exile and redemption. When Jews are downtrodden, that was Egypt. It was a night. It was the night in the saga of the Jewish people. It was a night. And when the Jews got the Torah, it was daytime. The Jews would get out of Egypt. They're, they're uh, in freedom. And they go to Israel. And they rebuild the temple. They build the temple. David and King David were talking about David Melech and Shlomo Melech. That's... That's the noon time. That's the high uh, high sun of the Jewish uh, uh, redemption. So we have day and night, just like we have day and night in the physical world. We have day and night in our Jewish uh, world as well. So on a national level, we always think about Gula. We always, we always Jews always praying for redemption. We always praying every day. Uh, we pray for redemption. There's a bracha in the Shmon Esrei. Uh, God Israel, we say before the Shmon Esrei, Goel Israel in the Shmon Esrei. We're always praying for redemption. We're thanking God for the past redemptions. And we're praying to God for future redemptions. We end off the Haggadah next year in Jerusalem. Oh, by the way, I forgot. Um, I have to uh, dedicate this year to a poor little, little boy who is very sick. And he was 10 months, he's 10 months old and he's been hospital since birth because of a heart defect, and today he's being taken off life support. And Bezran Hashem, he should live many years more. So I'm dedicating this class for a complete refuah shlema of Itai Baruch Ben Dina Shoshana. Bezran Hashem, have a complete redemption, just like we talked about from night to day, from his life, which is 10 months in hospital from birth. He should have a day, which is his long life, Bezran Hashem, long, successful life, healthy life. So we always talk about redemption. Jews are always praying for redemption. We even end off the seder with the Shana Habab Yerushalayim Havinuyah next year in the rebuilt Jerusalem. We all see this rebuilding of Jerusalem. So it's interesting because Galut Mitzrayim, the exile in Egypt, was the paradigm for all future exiles. The exile in Egypt is the biggest night. It's the night that starts off our history, just like the uh, creation of the world started off with night, with dark, darkness, and Hashem created light. So too, Jewish history starts off with this great, tremendous darkness, 210 years in Egypt, 400 years from the birth of Isaac, of darkness, the rabbis say, darkness. So it's a paradigm for all the exiles. On the surface, the transition from life in Israel to slavery and subjugation in Egypt seems quite abrupt. Right, the end of uh, the book of uh, Genesis, Breshit, the family of Yaakov is living comfortably in Egypt. Jacob's family is moved to Egypt. The uh, one of the son who was sold into Egyptian slavery, Joseph, is successful in Egypt, becomes the viceroy of Egypt. He is the prototype of the Jew that made it. Right, he's the prototype of the Jew that started off from the bottom and made it all the way to the top. He's the viceroy of Egypt. The security and safety of the family seems ensured in Egypt. Right, that's what it seems. However, we enter into Sefer Shemot, and suddenly Jews are being enslaved. Within a few lines, the Jews are being enslaved, and the children are being thrown into the river. Imagine, look at that. So within a few lines of uh, Jewish success in Egypt and security and prosperity, uh, obviously if there's, a, there's a couple of years over there in between, but in a very short space of time, the Torah has given a very short shrift from security and safety into the depths of exile, and the children are being thrown into the river. So it's a very rapid transition, it seems. And However, but all this is predicted 
to our forefather Abraham in the covenant of the pieces, which is known as the covenant of the pieces, where God makes a covenant with Abraham. And God, in the middle of the covenant, tells him about the exile and enslavement in Egypt. And I just want to read a few lines from that. In uh, Genesis chapter 15, Bereshit chapter 15, it came to pass when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell over Avram. He was still Avram at that time. And a fear and a great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Avram, know that your descendants shall be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they shall serve them. In other words, the uh, Jews will serve the people of their land, and they should afflict them for 400 years. So this is a prophecy given to Abraham when Abraham made this covenant with God as a chosen people. And that's part of the chosen people heritage is this exile in Egypt. Terrible, terrible. And imagine if you knew that the price of being chosen is exile and enslavement for 400 years, would you want to be chosen? That seems to be Jewish history in a nutshell, right? We're chosen, and part of the chosenness is affliction, unfortunately. Part of the chosenness is affliction, which we have to discuss. So the exile in Egypt was the last 400 years. However, the rabbis tell us it was not really 400 years, Baruch Hashem. It's 400 years from the birth of Isaac, Yitzhak. So we know that Abraham was born in 1948, in the Jewish calendar, 1948, very easy to remember. 1948, the Jewish calendar. Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 years old. Work it out. That's 2048. And from the birth of uh, the birth of Isaac, 400 years later, the Jews came out of Egypt. So 2448. We came out of Egypt in the year in Jewish calendar 2448. And that's when we got the Torah. We got the Torah that year. 2448. Crazy to remember 2448. That's the year from creation. Uh, our calendar starts at creation. It's the oldest calendar in existence. The Jewish calendar is the oldest calendar in human existence. It's amazing till today. There's never been an old, there's no older calendar. Even the Chinese don't have an older calendar, right? So the 2,448, the Jewish calendar from, from creation. And what happened? We got the Torah. We come out of Egypt. So 400 years from the birth of Yitzhak. And the Shemesh will, one of the great uh, Hasidic rabbis, he has job, he says there were four distinct stages of the exile. Number one, and if you look at this verse, your children, your descendants will be strangers. That's number one. Okay, so that was Yitzhak. Yitzhak's life was, it says, Ger Ba'aretz. He was a stranger in the land. Even though he lived in Israel, he never had a part of it. You know, he was always on the move. It says Avimelech, right? The servants, would, he would dig wells and they would come and fill in the wells. He was always a stranger in the land. He was not considered part of the land. And the Jews in the time of Abraham and Tzapi Yaakov were not considered. You see that uh, Abraham had a, had a trouble getting a burial site for his wife, Sarah. Why? He was not considered a real uh, inhabitant of the land. He was not part of the civil society. Uh, he was not accepted as a, as, a, as a citizen in the land of Canaan. So interestingly, we were Gerim. The first stage of exile was in Israel itself. We were Gerim. In fact, Abraham tells the the Bnei Chet, when he buys the cave of Machpelah, he says, Ger toshav I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. We see over there this line, the first line in this covenant is, the future prediction of exile is Ger. You will be a Ger. What's a Ger? A stranger. You're going to be considered a stranger. You know, wherever we go today, Jews are always strangers. You're a citizen in one minute. You're a citizen the next minute. We don't know who you are. Who are you? You're a stranger. Get out of here. So that's the first part of the of the prophecy. Number one, Geriyeh Zarachai, you'll be strangers. And then it says, Be'eretz lo'lahem. That's the second part of the prophecy is you're going to go into a land which is not yours. And that's, that's when they move to Egypt. That's the second part of the prophecy. The third part of the prophecy is Vavadu, you will serve them. You're going to be slaves in a foreign land. And the fourth part of the prophecy is Be'enuotam. And they're going to, they're going to afflict you. So slavery, affliction, and that's a four part. So the first part is you'd be a stranger. That could apply even in Israel. That's where Yitzhak was born. In Israel, in Canaan, and he was a stranger in Canaan. Then he goes, then they go to the land, they go to the land which is not theirs, they go to Egypt. And then they're going to be serving as slaves, and then they're going to be afflicted. So not just to be serving as slaves and being looked after, but being serving as slaves and being afflicted. 
So this is 400 years from the birth of Yitzhak. And uh, so it's interesting, that's counted as well. Thank God for that. 190 years later from the birth of Yitzhak, 190 years after the birth of Yitzhak, Yaakov and his family of 70 offspring leave Israel to Egypt. Beginning the next stage, they're going to go to a land which is not theirs. And the enslavement only started when Jacob and his children died. So the enslavement starts later on, beginning the third stage. And the fourth stage of they were afflicted starts when the Jewish children were being thrown into the river. That's when the affliction started. So the, the question is, where, what happened? What was this? What led to each stage leading to another stage? What was the, what was the trigger that uh, transitioned one stage to another? So, and why did the Jews have to spend so much time enslaved in Egypt? Right? Because the Torah does not, the, the promise to Abraham does not say how long each stage will take. It just tells us there are four stages. So why make the enslavement so long? Make the enslavement shorter. Make the enslavement five years, ten years. You know? What a horrible enslavement, a terrible enslavement and torture and punishments and, and horrible decrees on the Jewish people. So the answer is that these transitions were, were triggered. The Beit HaLevi tells us it was transitioned by the brothers' sale of Yosef. So the first transition from being strangers in the land from the uh, Isaac, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Why would have they go to Egypt? Because they sold their brother. Can you imagine? I mean, hard to imagine to sell your own brother, even though they really, they really believed he had, and he wanted to get rid of them. They really believed the brothers really believed that Yosef. And uh, look at this. I think we talked about this in our class on uh, Yosef and the brothers. Um, how much they really believed? They really, really believed that he was trying to get them into trouble. He was trying to get them thrown out of the family. He was trying to get, even kill them. So Yosef, they considered as a Moser, someone who is after you, a Rodev, someone tra- chasing after you to get rid of you. So they got rid of him. How did they get rid of him? They sold their brother. Terrible thing. But that triggered the first stage of, of the, from being strangers in the foreign land, in the land of Israel. They became strangers in the next foreign land, which is Egypt. That's the, the trigger that, that the step. Okay, so that's number one. That's the first step, which leads to the second stage of uh, exile in in Egypt as well. Now, the Midrashim say, the second sin, what was the second sin? They tried, they stopped doing Brit Milah. They stopped doing Brit Milah. They wanted to uh, disconnect themselves from this this terrible uh, curse of uh, being different. Jews don't want to be different. We want to fit in. We want to meld in. We want to going to the melting pot. They want to win social acceptance from the Egyptians. So they forgot the example of Yosef, of, of Joseph, who kept his identity and rose as the savior and the viceroy of Egypt. And they wanted to abandon the mitzvah of what separated them from the nations is the Brit Milah. And so what happened is they abandoned the Brit Milah. So abandoned Brit Milah, Hashem says, okay, that's it. No Brit Milah, now you're going to be slaves. So up to this point, they were serving, they were, they were having the Brit Milah. Now, and that's it. So they stopped the Brit Milah completely, and they got slaved. And uh, then they got afflicted as well. So that was the decree against the male children. So measure for measure, the blood of the Jewish children was instead of the blood of the Brit Milah. Unfortunately, tragic. So it's uh, one stage leads to another, the sale of Egypt. The sale of Yosef's lead triggered other stages. Unfortunately, tragedy, tragic. And uh, there's other reasons the Zohar I'm not going to go into. Gilgulim, and they were reincarnations of the, of the, uh, the Dora Mabul and Dora Flaga. They were reincarnations of the period of the flood and uh, the period of the tower. They were the reincarnation. Whatever, there's the different opinions over here. Why, why this great Galut? There's a beautiful explanation. Rav Salavetri says, he talks about transforming a mirachem to a rahman. How do you transform someone who has this trait of mercy into someone who is merciful? So what's the difference between a person who has a trait of mercy, who shows mercy, and a person who is merciful? So the answer is that a person who shows the trait of mercy is not really merciful. That's not that's not who the person is. They just have this trait of mercy. That's a, that's a mirachim. But to transform a person who has the trait of mercy into someone who is merciful, the person has to undergo tremendous stress. 
And that stress was called affliction in Egypt. It transformed the Jews into a nation that had the trait of mercy, to, into a nation that is merciful, that takes being a slave. To understand what it is to be a slave, to understand what it is to be afflicted, to understand what it is to be the no goods in society, the, the, tr- the trodden down ones in society. So that makes a person a, a mirah. From the mirachev, a person who has mercy, into a person who is merciful. So interesting, it's an interesting concept. So that's one of the reasons according to Pshat. Why were the Jews in Egypt? Why did God put us in Egypt? 400, 400 years of affliction, 210 years in Egypt, and the answer is to transform us. It's called the Kura Balzel, to transform us. Otherwise, how, how do we, you know, it's interesting because the Torah says over and over again, when you're, when you're treating other people, remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. You know, it always tells us, right, how you treat your, your, your servants. Remember you were slaves in the land of Egypt. In fact, one of the reasons of Shabbat is interesting. One of the reasons the commentaries give for Shabbat is so that your servant can rest. Because the Torah says you, your wife, your children, your, and your servants. Why, why, why Shabbat? So the answer is one of the reasons for Shabbat is so that our own servants can rest. That's amazing. That is, you know, who would believe? The reason for Shabbat is not for me, it's for my servants. Not just for you, it's for your servant as well. Your servant should rest. And remember that you're slaves in the land of Egypt. So the this, this, this message is, remember your slaves in the land of Egypt, always comes back in the Torah. It's mentioned a few times in the Torah when it talks about having some kind of empathy with others. When it talks about empathy with others, it's talking about loving a, a stranger. Love a stranger. Why? Because you yourself were strangers in the land of Egypt. So it, it always, it's the reason for empathy. It's the reason for mercy. It made us into a merciful people. What does that mean, a merciful people? A people who does not, you know, murder does not come easy to choose. Okay, trickery, robbery is not so, uh, but murder, you know, how many Jews are in the medical profession? It's amazing. Invent, inventing uh, all these drugs and all this stuff. It's always, why? Because tikkun olam is a very big thing. And how did that become a big thing amongst Jews? Fixing the world, making the world a better place. So this is Rabbi Soloveitchik. He says it's based on the, experience we had in Egypt, the experience of being a slave, of being downtrodden, being knocked down, being tortured and killed, that's the experience that made us into a more humane, more merciful nation. Okay, so that's one of the reasons. But there's another reason, and that's, this is the spiritual reason, and that is that whenever we have periods of darkness, and the darker the night is, the, the brighter the daylight, what does that mean? The, the deeper the Galut experience, the deeper and more vicious the Galut experience, the following era is an era of inventiveness and light. And let's um, let me give you some examples. So this is interesting. So people who don't work for things tend not to appreciate them. And Lefum Sara Agra, the Gemara says, the more trouble, the more reward. The more trouble there is a person has in life, the more a person invests in something, the more a person struggles with something, the more they appreciate it sometimes. So where do we learn this concept? The Torah tells us Isaiah the prophet, chapter 57, verse 19, he says, it's a very famous line, Shalom, Shalom, la rachok velakarov Peace, peace to him who is far off and to him that is near, says Hashem who created the fruits of the lips, and I will heal him. So this is interesting. Hashem says, I'm going to heal the one who is far away and the one who is near. Peace, peace to those who are far away, and peace, peace to those who are close by. So what does it mean, peace, peace to those who are far away? Those who come from far away could imply those who are suffering, those who have tremendous suffering and are far away from God. Peace to them. Right? And peace to those who are close by. The rabbis also explain this as a Baal Teshuvah and a Tzaddik. Right? So Hashem said, greets the Baal Teshuvah first. A Baal Teshuvah is greater than a Tzaddik. Why? A Tzaddik is always close to God. Whereas a Baal Teshuvah comes from far away. So a person comes from far away. If two people go to a wedding and then one guy came from far away. That's the guy that the host always likes to greet first. Right? You came from far away. Uh, my beloved relative from far away, or my beloved relative from around the corner. Who gets rid first? And that's the same concept. So one of the greatest gifts that the Torah, the Torah, right, was given after this kind of experience. So we see the night, the darker the night, the greater the daylight. 
this is amazing. This is, this is an amazing concept that we have to go through this spiritual process of night and day, night and day, uh, galut and redemption, exile, redemption, exile, redemption. And the redemption has been, was greater when the night was greater. Let's, we'll, we'll discuss it. We'll give some examples. So first example is Egypt, right? 210 years slavery, terrible slavery, 210 years in Egypt, 190 or so, I don't know, slavery. Uh, then we have all the troubles. And then, well, then we have the greatest gift possible. They come out of Egypt and they get the Torah. That's the greatest gift possible. They get the Mishkan. God's presence in Israel comes on the heels of the exile. Similarly, the second temple was erected after the exile of Persia. So again, we had Galut, exile, and then we have temple. We have second temple. The greater the, the exile, the greater the redemption. So Bezrat Hashem, we are, we're just going through this terrible exile. It's 2,000 years exile. Last time we had a temple, it smashed 70 CE. We're going through this nearly 2,000-year exile, exile from our land far away. And so that we can expect a redemption that is going to be amazing. We're going to expect this. We have to expect this amazing redemption. So it's very important, this idea of highs and lows that were built into the fabric of creation. Hashem created night and day. And it's reflected in, in nature as well, the lows and the highs of, of the oceans. Uh, so it's a time where we go into Galut, we get spiritually refined. I don't know how spiritually refined we get in exile. <clears throat> I see a lot of assimilation. I see a lot of uh, terrible assimilation in exile. That's why it's time for redemption. But the deeper the Galut, Hopefully, the more the Jew wants redemption, and that yearning for redemption will bring redemption. It's interesting. The yearning for redemption brings redemption. So, the word galut, exile, is related to the word legalot, which is to reveal. The exile reveals and brings out our yearnings for redemption, to rise above our environment, to discover our spiritual strengths. It's amazing how much Jews achieved during the exile. It's amazing how we were. Uh, you know, we were afflicted and we're achieving. That's amazing. How do we, how do we, where do we see this? This is the concept of the burning bush. You know, Hashem appears to Moshe in the burning bush. So the Rosh once interpreted the burning bush as representing the inner fire of the Jewish people. The original symbol of redemption is the inner, is the burning bush, the inner fire within the Jewish people, a fire of faith, a fire of hope, despite a barren world. So even a thorn bush which is barren totally, the flame of hope, the flame of inner fire, the flame of uh, faith in God burns deep. Right? It's an interesting concept, this idea that the first image shown to our prophet Moses was this burning bush, which uh, there's different interpretations, different symbolisms. One of the symbolisms is this Jewish faith in God, which burns deep amongst us. We are believers in a brighter future. That's the fire. The burning bush is the fire of the bush, is this idea of a brighter future. We'll have a brighter future. We believe in a brighter future. Things are always getting better. The Mashiach will, is always coming. It's always coming. So we believe in this brighter future. And this is what Yosef tells his brothers before he dies. He says, remember two things. Hashem. Hashem will remember, remember you. He, the moment of redemption shall come. What does that mean? He repeated it twice. Pakod Yifkod implies certainty. For sure, Hashem will redeem you. Can you imagine? After all those years, they nearly gave up, giving up hundreds of years of exile, of, of, of uh, I, I, uh, I, you know, the servit servitude of torture. God, you've got to have this promise. Hashem will not forget you. And we see it today that even though we've been in exile, terrible exile, Hashem has not forgotten his people. And you know, Hashem, you know, we'll see, we'll see wonders. Hashem will see wonders. So as a blessing of exile, one of them is this idea that faith burns deep and uh, we'll, we'll survive this burning bush, you know, that our hope will never be uh, tossed. This idea of hatikva, this idea of hope, burning strong even in exile. Another aspect is the Jewish quality of appreciation. Only when you've been down can you appreciate being up. It's like you can only appreciate daylight after the night. 
only after being going through the night as a darkness that you can appreciate daylight. Now, we don't appreciate so much because we can just switch on the light. But can you imagine living in a, in a land, in a place where there's no electric lights, where there's no fire. So, you know, the person, Adam Rikshonit says, when the first night came, he was terror-stricken, terror-struck. Don't know what to do. What should I do? Uh, I never experienced night before. And so when the daytime came, can you imagine his, thank God, thank God. That's when he sings his first song. Thank God, I'm singing a song. The rabbis say that was a psalm sung by, by, uh, uh, by Adam. The first song is because he's singing. There's a day, it's daytime. After the night, I experienced terrified night. Night could be the end of the world. So that's the idea. The idea of Galut is we can now appreciate uh, being free. We can now appreciate living in our land. We can now appreciate, after going through this experience, we have to appreciate all the positives we have. So by by Jewish suffering, the Jew learns to appreciate the good things of life. You know, unfortunately, it's so easy to forget. You know, we're, we're the fortunate generation. We are the really one of the most fortunate Jewish generations. I keep saying this, we have to appreciate it. And I also have to appreciate it. Think about 2,000 years of exile in different countries and being tortured and persecuted and being killed and, and all the troubles they went through just to keep their religion. And then now today we have freedom of religion. You can be a Jew, a proud Jew anywhere in the world. It's an amazing miracle. This is a kind of, this is a kind of redemption right now. You move to Israel, you just buy a ticket and you, you may even get a free ticket. Nefesh Benefesh, <laughs> it's, it's a, a Jewish dream. You even get a free ticket. Man, it's, it's unheard of from the Jewish experience that we have to appreciate. We have to appreciate what we have. And, we, and this is one of the lessons of the Seder night. This is exactly what we do on Seder night. It's a night of appreciation. Today, we can really celebrate more than any time in our history, probably for the last 2,000 years for sure, we could celebrate Pesach night the way it should be celebrated with tremendous devotion to God and thanks, right? And that's the power of the Dayenu, right? Dayenu is when we appreciate what we have. Every step of the way, we have to appreciate what we have. I'm going to talk about this. Better Hashem, we'll have more time. Better Hashem, we'll have. We'll talk about it. So one of the lessons of the Galut is Galut is bad. It's a horrible experience. It's exciting experience. It's affliction experience. But now we can appreciate what we have. And that's something which we have to never forget. When it's black, then you can start appreciating the dark, the, the light. And that's the, what we have to do today is appreciate the light. Thank God. I mean, just 70 years ago, 75 years ago, we were afflicted terribly. And now we can appreciate a little bit of life. It's rather shared. Now we're seeing other people being afflicted terribly the same way we were. And now we can appreciate, thank, you know, thank God I'm here. Thank God in Israel there's nothing going. Thank God. Okay, there's nothing to compare to what's going on over there. Thank God a million times. So, you know, we have to be grateful. It's a very important lesson. That's what Galut experience gives a person the ability to appreciate what we have now. We have to appreciate the light. We're free. We're able to uh, serve God in freedom and in uh, reasonable security. And this is something which the exile teaches us. And first and foremost, we respond to God's uh, thanks with 100 blessings a day. And David Amelach made this takana, make 100 blessings a day. We have a thing, 100 blessings a day keeps the doctor away. You know, not an apple a day, but 100, 100 blessings a day keeps the doctor away. We start of our days with the word, ani, thank you. Or girl says, Moda, thank you, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. Thank you. We start our day with the word, thank you. Thank you. We have to appreciate what we have. So when we experience exile, we experience how cruel people can be. We can appreciate now. We have freedom. We, we appreciate now. And people are kind. We can appreciate. That's a blessing. So another benefit of Galut is it reduces pride. Very important lesson. And we're going to talk about this. We talk about the matzah. Reducing pride. It's amazing because a person becomes successful and the pride goes to the head. I'm successful. It must be me. It's me. It's me. It's me. And therefore the Torah tells us all the time, remember you are a slave in the land of Egypt. Remember your humble origins. You know, a person says, I'm Jewish. I got the best heritage. Yeah, remember where you came from. You were a slave in the land of Egypt. Wow, that's very, very humbling. That's a very humbling. My ancestors were slaves. They were not great. You know, Abraham was very rich. Yeah, he was free, but he was still a ger. He was a stranger in a foreign land. Yitzhak was a stranger in a foreign land. Yaakov was a stranger in a foreign land. Our forefathers were strangers and slaves as well. 
you know, what are we, you know, what are we bragging about? I'm Jewish. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. What are we bragging about? Um, so it leads to, hopefully, it leads to humility. One of the consequences of slavery and exile and bitterness is humility. We have to be humble. We'll be humble. It's one of the lessons of the exile of the Galut. And yet another lesson of Galut is the power of prayer. Because what got the Jews out of exile? What got the Jews out of Egypt? So it tells us in the beginning of, of Shemot and the burning bush that Hashem heard their cries. Very, very important. Very, very important. It says in, uh, in, in Shemot, <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 23, it was in the, those long days and Pharaoh had died. And the Jews groaned from their work and they called out and their cries rose to Hashem from their work. And God heard their cries. God remembered their covenant with Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov. So the covenant was a covenant of exile, but also a covenant of redemption. There's exile and redemption. Hashem always plans, it says, the medication before the sickness. The, the, uh, the main concept is redemption. But to get to redemption, you need to go through the exile. Unfortunately, to get to the light, you need to go through the darkness. It's a, it's a very, it's a, tough, it's a tough lesson. Why? Because we have to learn. Number one, we have to learn that humility. We have to learn that uh, faith. We have to learn prayer. We have to learn this idea of concept of prayer. And this is the prayer we, we talked about in Tehillim. Uh, King David says, you know, uh, I called out to you from the depths, Hashem. The true cry from the heart, from the depths. When, when a person's really suffering and they're right at the end of the tether and they're really, there's no hope. And then we cry out to God right from the depths. That's the deepest cry from the heart a person can have. When they're really down and out, and that, and that cry is powerful. And that's what we learn from this exile experience is the power of prayer. It's amazing fact, amazing that Hashem heard their cries. What does that mean? That means they really didn't cry till then. It was, he didn't hear their cries because their cries were not coming from the depths. But we're going to really get to the, from the depths. And it's, you know, it's interesting, <laughs> you know, hundreds of years ago, the Talmud talks about the Hazan would go down into a pit to pray. We talked about this, I think. And the Hazan would go into the pit. They would dig a pit for the Hazan. You know, today we, live, we raise the Hazan up. We put him on a stage on a platform. So his voice will travel. But in those days, they were concerned more about his state of mind. That he should feel, I'm crying to God from the depths. I'm crying out to God. I really need God. I'm like in a dungeon. I need, I need, I need God more than ever before. So it was actually, they would actually build a hole in the, in the synagogue for the Hazan to stand. Imagine so that's, a, you know, that's what exile is all about. Exile is learning how to pray. Now, what's also interesting is there's a big debate, very big debate. Did, were the Jewish people, did they come out of exile because they did teshuva? Or were they, were, they, were they redeemed without even teshuva? Imagine. So were they redeemed because they did teshuva? Or were they redeemed despite the lack of teshuva? Now, what teshuva did they have to do? Well, they did sell their brother. So they have to do teshuva. Did they do teshuva? They did not do teshuva. So Rabbi Yonatan ben who was the main, uh, the, the major student of the 70 students of Hillel, he said the major, the 70 students of Hillel, he was considered the top student. Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel, they're buried in Amukah. People who want to get married, they go to Amukah to his uh, grave. It's right, it's like the, you know, the, I read, read the Gemara there, Rashi brings over there, the hint over there. There's a hint to Amuka. Amuka also hints to the depths, because Amuka is a very deep valley. He's buried in, he's buried in, in, uh, in the middle of a valley. You have to go down the mountain. You have to, it's, a, it's quite a dangerous road. They just made a nice road over there. Uh, not as dangerous as before. Before, it was, real, it was a really dangerous road. It was a one-lane highway, and it wasn't even a highway. It was just a gravel path. The cars would go down, and the buses would go down this gravel path. You're praying all the way down. <laughs> so, so maybe that's the secret. So Amuka hints also to this from the depths. Yeah, Amuka's de- uh, depths. It's the depths of one's heart. Because you should pray with the depths of the heart. You want to pray for a, a wife or a husband, pray from the depths of your heart. Go down to Amuka. Go down to this valley and pray. So it's interesting. Did they, were they redeemed because they did Teshuvah? Were they redeemed despite lack of Teshuvah? Yonatan ben Uziel, this great rabbi, the, one of the, the, the top students of Hillel, he says, Vayar Elohim Bnei Yisrael. Elohim. Hashem saw the uh, Bnei Yisrael and he knew. Hashem knew. What did he know? Yonatan ben Uziel says he saw their teshuva and he accepted it. 
amazing. What amazing is amazing. However, Ramban Nachmanides disagrees. He says the redemption from Egypt was purely an act of kindness by God. Purely an act of kindness by God. The Jews did not cause their own, <clears throat> their own redemption in any way. It was totally an act of kindness from God. Because Hashem has limitless kindness towards his people. That's, that's the beautiful Ramban Nachmanides. As he says, he quotes a pasuk in Tehilim, just like a mother looks after the baby for no reason, just pure kindness. So too Hashem looks after his children. That's us. So even though Jews never deserved, we never deserved to come out of Egypt, the sin of the selling of the Yosef was not expiated, and they didn't do enough teshuva, and yet Hashem's kindness. So this is something that gives us hope. That a person can say, you know what, Hashem, I'm unworthy totally, I don't deserve it. I know I don't deserve it. Just chesed, chesed Hashem. Give me kindness. That's all. I just shower me with kindness. Why shower me with kindness? Because you're a kind of God. That's it. You're, that's your that's your main midah. Uh, that's your main character trait. God's character trait is altruistic giving. Hashem is the most altruistic giver. There's no other reason why He would create the world. Really, there's no other way reason why God would create a world. The only reason could be because he's an altruistic giver. He wants to give. He desires to give. He loves to give. And that's so Hashem, help us just like you helped our ancestors in Egypt. According to the Ramban, he saved them pure chesed, just pure kindness. Save us also, please, Hashem, save us from all our troubles. Save the Jewish people, your, your nation and this world. The Goyachad Ba'aretz, your one nation in the world that cries out every single day. Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Elokim, Hashem, Echad. You are one God, Hashem. We are your one people. Save us, Hashem, because of your kindness. So something we can at least, we have hope. Even though a person doesn't deserve it. We are, even if we don't do Teshuvah. Even if we don't deserve anything. Hashem can save us. Why? Because unlimited kindness. Hashem has unlimited kindness. We are Hashem's baby. Hashem, you save us just like the mother looked after the baby. And that's what David Amir says in Tehillim. Throw your load on God and he will support you. So that's a very amazing insight. There's another insight Ramban has, Nachmanides. He says, when, I, when Moshe asks Hashem, what name should I use? What's your name? The Jewish people are going to ask me, which God is this? Who, what's God's name? What should I tell them? And Hashem says, first he says, Eheye Asher I will be what I will be. You know, it's a strange, it's a strange kind of name. We know that God was, he is, and he will be. Hashem is unchanging. The same God that was, right? Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Imloch. God was the king, he is the king, and he will be the king. Hashem is unchanging. He is always unchanging. So what does it mean? I will be what I will be. Saramban Nachman explains, I Hashem will be what you want me to be. What does that mean? If you want me to be a merciful God, you be merciful. You want me to be a kind God, you be kind. Because I will be what I will be is dependent on your behavior. That's an amazing concept. You want you be merciful to others, I'll be your merciful God. So it's a concept. That's the idea. I will be what I will be. Depending on what you do, Hashem says, I will be. And even if it's going to be in the future. Even if you're going to do tshuva in the future, I'll be now. I'll be good to you now based on the future. Hashem knows the future. So Hashem knows. In the future, the Jews are going to accept the Torah. That is going to be enough for me to redeem you right now. That's amazing. So I will be what I will be. So sometimes a Jew is so dis- distant from God, so depressed, they cannot take the first step. Hashem takes the first step. As he knows, the Jew will respond. That's what the Ramban says, not Maradis. So even though we never did Teshuvah, Hashem took us out of exile. Oh, Hashem. Hashem's kindness. And that's the uh, idea. That's his idea of Ekiah Yeah, I will be what I will be. I will be what you will be. In other words, I will be. You are kind. I'll be kind. I'll mirror you. Mida keneke mida. You know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Whatever you do, I will do. Whatever you do, I will do. I'll emulate you. So we want God to be merciful to us, be merciful to other people. You know, there's a beautiful story that the Quran Quran says, Rabbi Yudha Nasi. Rabbi Yudha Nasi was the prince of the Jewish people, descendant of Hillel, descendant of King David. And he was very wealthy. And he was the editor of the Mishnah, very learned. And it says he had a terrible toothache. Why did he have a terrible toothache? <laughs> it's an interesting Gemara. The Gemara says that he sees this calf was being taken for slaughter. 
and the calf was was crying and screaming, and Rabbi Nasi had no no mercy on him. Rabbi Nasi says, "You were created for this, and that's your your destiny." So the the Talmud says because of that he had a terrible toothache. Hashem punished him with for saying that. You know, you can you can you can always empathize even with animals. Person should empathize with everything, with every creature. We should empathize. So he shouldn't have said on his level. He shouldn't have said, you know, you were created for that, and that's it. But he should have said, you know, poor calf. You know, you got to go to slaughter. I feel sorry for you. What, what can I do? But he didn't empathize at all, and because I had, to, had a terrible toothache. And then the Talmud says, but his his maid had uh, there was uh, some kind of vermin in the house. And she wanted to kill it, and reviewed that. Nasi said, "Have mercy on the woman." And his toothache went away. So this act of mercy, we have mercy. Hashem shows mercy. We so we trigger we trigger these attributes. That's a very interesting idea. Rashi, a famous commentator, says, "I will be with the Jew in this time of trouble, and I'll be with them in other times of trouble. I will be what I will be. I will be with you now in Egypt, and I will be in the future." And that he says is the symbol of God in the thorns, the burning bush, the fire represents the symbolism of God is in the thorns. He's suffering along with us. We are suffering. Hashem says, "I'm suffering as well." You're in exile. I'm in exile. This is a paradox, right? This is Hester Panim. Hashem is with us wherever we are, and eventually, Hashem will be with us in the in the redemption as well. And the secret is really the key to prayer. The further we are. God, the more we cry out, God is closer to us. So we cry out and God gets closer. Interesting. So now there's two forms of redemption. There's two forms of redemption. Galut develops and displays the heroism of the Jewish people in Egypt itself, in the exile, the bitterness of exile. They were heroes. Who are the heroes? Two women. Their names were Yocheved and Miriam. Two women, Yocheved and Miriam, or Shifra and Pua, who were saving they were the midwives, Pharaoh said, kill all the males, and they were the heroines. They risked their lives to save the Jewish children. That's amazing. And then we find there uh, Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, risked his life as an Egyptian prince. He could have escaped everything completely in Pharaoh's palace. He risked his life to save one Jew who was being beaten by an Egyptian. He risked his life. And in fact, he had to run away until he was eight years old. He had to run away to Midian and had a very, we don't even know what happened in that time, 80 years of his life. Um, and he gave his life basically as a hero. He was a hero trying to save one Jew from being tortured and being killed. So it's interesting that we had heroes. So one thing that brings out, the exile brings out the Jewish people is this heroism to save others. Because we will see that. We see this all the time. And uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very important idea. And that could have caused also the redemption. Okay, so maybe 20%. All the Jewish people who survived Egypt were heroes. The rabbis tell us only 20% survived. Hamoshim Alu B'nai Israel. One-fifth of the Jewish people came out of Egypt. So 20% of the Jewish people were heroes. So what is a hero? Hero is a person who keeps their faith despite all the troubles. Despite all the troubles. So there's two kinds of heroes. The heroes like uh, Moses and his uh, sister Miriam and his mother Yocheved who saved lives in Egypt. And then there's heroes who are basic heroes, which are people who just keep their faith. Two kinds of heroes. There's heroes who are heroes that just keep even keeping a faith in God. And is also being a hero. In times of trouble, you keep your faith. That's also kind of heroism. Only 20% of the Jews came out of Egypt because of the heroism of keeping their faith. The rest assimilated. The rest were not heroes. They assimilated. It's like the Jews in Spain, right? How many Jews kept their faith and came out of Spain? And the other ones just stayed there. And they adopted other cultures and other religions. So terrible tragedy. So the heroes were the ones who came out. That's the heroes. That's the heroism. Now we have to also remember that redemption is not a straight line up. Redemption is a wave. It comes in waves. And it's like the, the day and the night, right? It follows. And there's high tide and low tide in Jewish history. It's terrible. We have low tides in Jewish history. We have high tides in Jewish history. So being a hero is keeping one's faith in the low tides of history. That is what we have to do. Keeping our faith, low tide of history. Now, it's interesting, there was a, a very famous uh, philosopher, Eric Fromm. And he wrote, wrote a book, Escape from Freedom. I'm sure he modeled it. He modeled it on the Seder. He modeled it on the Haggadah. I'm not going to talk about his whole thing, but he, he, taught, he has a theory. His theory is there's two kinds of escape from freedom. 
there's escape from, and there's an escape to. In other words, if I'm just trying to escape the country because there's trouble, so I'm escaping from, my whole idea is to escape from this. But then there's a higher level, which is escape to. To escape in order to do something better, to transcend. So that is amazing. He has amazing, uh, it's a good book. Um, he wrote many books, Eric from Escape from Freedom. You can read it, go buy it, get it, read it. I'm not, I'm not promoting anything, but I'm just saying it's based on Torah ideas. It's really based on Torah ideas, philosophy based on Torah ideas. And we could see that the escape from Egypt was not an escape from. That's something which we have to remember on the Seder night. Very, very important message. The leaving Egypt was not an escape from. We're not escaping from Pharaoh. We're escaping to Mount Sinai. We have, we have a bigger goal than just escape. This is God's goal. We have to remember this in our lives all the time. Whenever we take a step forward, we're not taking a step forward to get away from the past. We're taking a step forward to get towards another goal. Jews have a goal in life. We have purpose in life. That's the power of the Torah. The power of the Torah is to give us purpose. The power of the Torah is to give us a reason to get up in the morning and do something. What is the reason to get closer to God, to learn God's Torah, to serve God, do mitzvot, and help other people? We have reasons to grow. We have reasons to do this, not just escape. We didn't, we didn't just escape from exile just to be free. Why? Because freedom is something which is nebulous, and there's no such thing as freedom. There's no such thing as true freedom in this world. There'll always be another dictator to take over. There's always be another system to take over. And Eric Fromm talks about it. Very, very interesting, fascinating. Freedom from and freedom to. And we have to teach our children and say tonight, our grandchildren, we want freedom to. We want a freedom to serve God. We don't just want a freedom from Pharaoh. Because there's always, there'll always be an alternative Pharaoh. There'll always be another dictator take over. There would be some other kind of society with other kind of balance systems taking over. There's no such thing as a vacuum in this world. There's no such thing as a vacuum. And that applies to societies as well. So we believe in a freedom from Egypt to get the Torah, to go to, to, to Sinai. And that, that is the message of Pesach. It's because Pesach is not a festival uh, uh, which stands by itself. Like, interesting, very unusual festival. Pesach is the beginning of another festival. People don't realize that. Pesach starts the countdown to Shavuot. Pesach is the beginning of Shavuot. People don't realize that. Pesach is the countdown to Shavuot. What is that telling us? It's freedom to go to Mount Sinai and get the Torah. That's the whole point. The whole point, it's a beginning of a whole cycle of events that lead to the finality of Shavuot, which is the height, the heights of humanity. This is the heights of humankind. Shavuot is the heights where we can reach the spiritual goal of man talking to God and God talking to man. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Interaction between man and God. So Pesach is freedom from Pharaoh, but it's not just freedom from Pharaoh. And that's it. That's the end of the story. No, it's not. And that's what we have to stress in that Gadan stress on the Saturday night. It's a freedom from Pharaoh for the purpose of getting close to God, going to Mount Sinai, getting the Torah, becoming God's nation. That is the purpose. That is the purpose of freedom. That's our purpose. And that is true freedom which we're going to talk about, because that's Harut Al-Nuchot. Hashem says, Harut Al-Nuchot. Engrave it onto these tablets. The word Harut is the word for Herut, which is freedom. Through the words of the Torah, we become free, because then we can control ourselves. We can get structure in our lives. We have a purpose. We have a mission. Anyway, so it's interesting. Freedom from and freedom to. And that is exactly what the message that Hashem gives to Moshe. Tell Pharaoh. Now, this is a message which was distorted when the Freedom from Russia movement started. Shalach et Ami became half the sentence. They used half the sentence deliberately to free, can imagine, they quoted the Torah to free the Jews from Russia. Big demonstrations in New York, hundreds of thousands of people demonstrating for freedom for Russian Jews. We have to remember this. And, the, and the, what was the biggest uh, line used? Shalach et Ami. Free my people, free my people, free my people, a line from the Torah Moses uses. But they didn't end off the line. That they should serve me. 
freedom is not freedom from, it's freedom to. Let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. What for? They have duty, they should serve me, God says. Let my people go to serve me. Another, another big distortion was the Bilu movement. You know, it's interesting. In the uh, 19th century, it's a tremendous movement, again, from Russia, from Poland, from other Eastern countries. The first Aliyah movement it was the first Aliyah of Jews coming from Eastern Europe. And it's called, it was called the Bilu movement. Now, what's Bilu stand for? B-I-L-U. It's the Bilu movement. Beit Yaakov lechu menelcha. Again, it's a line from the Torah. Beit Yaakov, the house of Jacob, let us go. They quoted half the line. The house of Jacob, let us go. Bilu, Beit Yaakov, they left out the next two words, Be'or Hashem, in the light of God. Beit Yaakov, Lechu Benelcha, Be'or Hashem. So it's interesting that people quote, misquote the Torah. They quote it for their own means, but they leave out the most important part. It's freedom from, but it's also freedom too. It's mainly freedom too. We want freedom. Beit Yaakov, Lechu Benelcha, the house of Jacob, go. Or Hashem, go in the light of God. Don't just go. Let my people go. We have duty to serve me, Hashem says. It's very important, very important, critical. There's something which we have to stress during the Seder. We left Egypt. It wasn't just thank God after taking out of Egypt. It was thank God taking out of Egypt for a purpose. The purpose is to get closer to God. At Mount Sinai, Pesach is the beginning of a whole cycle. It's interesting. Ramban, Nachmanides says that. The 49 days between Pesach and Shavuot are Cholamoid. Pesach is the first festival, first day of Yom Tov, and Shavuot is the last day of Yom Tov. That the Sfirat Omer are the days of Cholamoid in between. Amazing, amazing. I would never thought about that. You know, this is a, we have to remember this and stress this at the Seder table. I'm going to talk about more of these lessons we talked about today. I'm going to talk about next week as well. Same time channel, same channel. Please. Join me, and we're going to talk about, we're going to discuss more of these ideas later on. I'll give you some ideas, thoughts. Just remember, we're not celebrating freedom. We're celebrating freedom for something higher. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.